Hello and welcome to the Web3 for Good podcast. We're on a mission to uncover the greatest innovators, thinkers, and creators building the next reiteration of our online lives. Back again, I'm your host, Camilla Perkis-White, futurist and brand strategist who has helped propel the world's most iconic brands into the digital sphere with purpose. In this episode, we are talking avatars. Now, avatars and gaming have been around for several decades and have evolved significantly over time. You might think of an avatar as this kind of graphical representation of a player in a virtual world or game. But in this episode, we are going to dive deep into how they encompass so much more. We talk about where issues currently lie on representation, who the key players are, and the totally awesome opportunities we have to build a Web3 for good with some badass avatars that are living our best online lives. I share the mic with Kelly Vero. I'm a super fan and I'm not the only one. She's been voted top 100 women of the future with a prolific career in gaming, dating back to Donkey Kong and Lara Croft. Kelly is one of the most notable voices in Web3. She's editor-in-chief at MetaCrunch, an online news outlet bringing sense and truth to Web3. She's co-founder of Naked, the first fashion and home interiors content engine for games. Think a little like Paris Fashion Week meets Reddit Play Me. And with all that spare time she has, she's also an international keynote speaker for all things gaming and Web3. So we are honored to have been squeezed into her calendar for this very, very important interview. Kelly says it how it is and keeps the industry real. So with that, let's get on to the show. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. So Kelly, I brought you in today because you have an exceptional background when it comes to the gaming world, which we'll dump into a little bit more. But I want to kind of really dive into the concept of avatars. I've recently been playing a lot with avatars. We've just had Metaverse Fashion Week. We've kind of seen customization at a new level. But I want to talk a little bit about kind of the current lay of the land and what is it going to take to build a Web3 for good in our digital twins? Avatars have been in gaming for several decades and have evolved significantly over time. I hear the term avatar kind of really used to be referred to as this like graphical representation of the player who you could pop into a virtual world. But since then, I think it has encompassed a much broader term of meanings. So Kelly, will you tell me what does avatar mean to you? Oh, well, first of all, avatar is not that description of something that is from the Sanskrit, blah, 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 because as you quite rightly <laughs> introduced i come from the world games and i now live in the world of metaverse so what the avatar originally is was supposed to be a kind of either accurate or aspirational representation of yourself in digital so you're looking for you and that's effectively what the avatar does 
throughout the course of the user experience in any game or metaverse, we're always trying to find the perfect version of ourselves, whether that's as a soldier or as a supermodel or just as a school kid or, you know, anything like that. We're looking for the best version of us. Do you remember your first ever avatar or kind of the early days of creating avatars for yourself in gaming? Yeah, I mean, I created the, one of the most recognizable avatars in games, along with the creative team, and that was Lara Croft. So any game that you play that isn't involved in you customizing an avatar, you're going to be playing as the character. And so they effectively become your pseudo avatar throughout the game. So it could be Cortana from Halo or Master Chief. It could be Bumblebee or Optimus Prime. It, it could be the little Candy Crush girl on the train moving between different levels and worlds. I was trying to have a think back of kind of my early memories of avatars. And the one that came to mind for me was also in high boots and short shorts but was Dolls Mania. Do you remember this from like the 90s, early noughties? Gosh, yeah, I do. These like hypersexualized sort of Barbie-esque dolls. And I was obsessed and I was a small child. I would like, you know, I really don't think I should have been uh, dressing up women the way that I was over that time. But we were encouraged and indulged to do it. And so I think because of that, that's why, you know, before video games, we have Barbies and Cindy's and Skippies. And, you know, we read magazines like Jackie and Just 17 and Teen Mag. And we were given these opportunities to look at aspirational versions of ourselves. You know, we want to look like Kate Moss. We want to look like Linda Evangelista. But the reality is we don't. <laughs> so in this world, this digital space. We've got to try and find like that thing that is most close to who we are, either in personality or hopefully in aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it sort of feels like it always has been this kind of societal and cultural kind of positioning where it's raised so many issues over the years, avatars. And I kind of like to dive into this a little bit before we talk about the good vibes and how we think we can build a, a better Web3. I think we do need to really understand where we are today and our responsibility to build the next reiteration for our online lives and the ones, you know, who are going to be gaming in the future. So, you know, when we think of stereotyping and cultural appropriation, in some games... Avatars, I think a lot of them I've seen have been really based on these cultural or racial stereotypes. You know, there may be appropriate elements of other cultures without proper understanding or really respect to them. So Kelly, my question to you is, in virtual worlds where your imagination is your only limitation, why do you think kind of developers and designers build stereotypes? Are they successful narratives in gaming? This is the simplest answer in the world. Is that most character artists are men? They're white men mostly, you know, young white men. So if they're young, they just came out of college and they're junior character artists. They're obsessed with boobs and bums. They're obsessed with like Love Island, sexy chicks, all that kind of stuff. So naturally, you know, and, and in the case of um, 
Asian developers, we have found over the course of the last 25 years that most of the avatars that are created are curvy white women. You know, and if they are Asian women, they're very sexualized because that's as close as they have to their cultural understanding of what women are. Who's going to buy a game where it looks like, you know, you can choose an avatar of your mom? I'm not. Sexualization. Like, this is by far, I think, the most talked about now and one you cannot unsee, right? It is even definitely across women, but still with men. You know, a lot of them have kind of these chiselboard abs, big muscles. We've talked about fundamentally, you know, this is there because the setup of the teams is not in underway, right? The designers are not the people that they're representing. I saw this year or, or late last year, Dove did a campaign with Women in Games where they built a variety of diverse avatars. And I was thrilled to see this, fantastic. But when I dived into the actual campaign for this recording, I discovered actually none of them had usability. They were just designed to show press in a VR game. So I guess actualization, if you have anything else to add around the team structure of why we're there, but then also like, why do you think that the change isn't happening? Why aren't people actually building something different? Because nobody's paying for them. So first of all, it's, you know, just to use that that Dove campaign a little bit, I agree with you. I thought it was very limited. And one of the reasons why it was limited, as you say, is because, you know, the will is not there. Disabled people, for example, might be looking for disabled people inside a metaverse. They just aren't there. And, and because of that, the next best thing for them is going to be an able-bodied person that takes on the attributes or the features of themselves like in that space. There is only one amazing metaverse that I've ever visited and thoroughly enjoyed the diversity culturally, and that's break room. They have wheelchairs, they have prosthetics, they have all kinds of like amazing stuff that you can take into the metaverse with you. You can fly, so mobility is not even an issue inside that space as well. Even if you've got a wheelchair or not, your avatar can still fly. And you've got a great opportunity to be able to do stuff. Now, the point of why I'm saying this is because actually Break Room is an enterprise-based metaverse software. So it's for businesses to do everything from training to do very specific walled garden branded content. And where someone has the ability to pay for it, there is a will to be able to make it. But in Decentraland, you know, or in Sandbox, if you are going to say, yeah, put your avatar in here with your wheelchair or all of your different, you know, rainbow colors and da 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 da, because the rainbow color part is really easy to do. It's just about changing the color of somebody's skin. That's cost free. Building a wheelchair, building prosthetics, doing other things, these things cost money. So therefore, that cost has to 
go back onto the end user and the end user is just simply not prepared to pay it. So they would more than happily change their thinking about what their aspiration is towards what they look like as an avatar inside the metaverse when things aren't available to them. So yes, then, of course, it's really easy to kind of put your hands up and say, hey, you're not being diverse enough in this space, but it's a bit of an Ouroboros, right? Because it's just constantly a snake eating its own tail until we actually have a line in the sand where we sort of say every avatar we create from here on in has to be standardized towards being more diverse, then we're gonna have a complete free-for-all. And in Web3, as you know, when it comes to regulation, there's no regulation, there's no standards, and there's no way of policing any of that stuff apart from writing about it in communities and getting really uptight about it. But I, I mean, back to the Dove point, I thought it was really limiting that there wasn't anything you could do with those avatars. It felt like a very expensive press release. So as we have more and more brands entering Web3, I think this is a really important point. There needs to be somebody in that business demanding this from the platforms before they invest. You know, we wouldn't invest in a business that was doing wrongdoing in their factories and had child labor. You know, we have so many infrastructures in place now that I want to see this come through as well. I know to work with someone like Tiffany & Co, you have to go through a ruthless audit of your business foundations and sustainability efforts. And so I'd be very interested to see how that can be relayed into these tech companies because what we are building are, with avatars, representations of oneself. But I love kind of your point as well around how we behave with them. You know, why are we still walking? I could walk in like the real world. I don't need to like walk around a central land. It's very difficult. Like invent a new way to get around. And if that's a flying wheelchair or a flying saucer, I'm all for it. It's great. It's absolutely brilliant. Flying around in that space is just incredible. Everybody should try it. But you're right in what you say. I mean, okay, there's a lot of lip service that's involved in checking the sustainability and ensuring that people are ticking all of the boxes, but it really is a box ticking exercise because that's at company level. At user experience level, this is a totally different ball game because at user experience level, you, the builder or the developer or the metaverse owner or the business owner have no control over how we use your avatars in the metaverse and actually in any form. You've got no control over it. You don't know what we're gonna do. One of the things we used to laugh at in game development was how predominantly there was a higher percentage of guys that would play as girls inside video games. Not because they're sexy or any of that kind of stuff, but just because they could. And so they used to do that, you know. They, if they were into Sailor Moon, you would find these guys at cosplay events dressed as characters from Sailor Moon. It doesn't matter if they were a 320 pound white guy with a beard, he would still be wearing a mini dress and a hat. And I think this is a way of us expressing ourselves too. We can't just put a lid on it and say, oh yeah, you know, this is catfishing or, you know, what you're doing is completely unethical and cultural appropriation, etc. It isn't. It's also a way of people expressing themselves. They're not doing it in a way that's harming other people. They're doing it in a way that is 
best expressing who they are. It takes a lot of balls to dress up when you're a 320 pound guy with a huge beard as a character from Sailor Moon. Yes, and there's a difference between doing that in, in the real world and then the virtual world. It's a little bit easier, isn't it? So I think what we've touched on here is some great points. So we've got, you know, what's happening from the development side. So we've got, you know, the missing of the team structure and the diversity in there. We've got the, you know, over-sexualization as a big result of that. And then we've got also kind of people not putting their money where their mouth is and kind of really translating this into a usable item. Following on from that, I guess one more kind of thing to set the lay of the land is is how people are using these avatars, perhaps not always for good. And in the previous episode, I had Hera Hussein, who's the founder of Chen, which builds resources and how to support people to design spaces that are safe and that people can be protected from harassment. It is by no means new news that when if somebody is in avatar form, they feel like they have the right or the freedom to perhaps bully or harass others in the gaming world and take on this kind of negative persona. Do you agree? You know, what do you think the kind of lay of the land is in in that sense? Yeah, well, first of all, I've got to say that I'm really not a fan of censorship of any kind. So I think that people should be completely free to express themselves however they want to. But I think, you know, where there is no regulation, there's no moderation. And so unless you've got a really strong DAO in your Web3 platform or metaverse, you've got no chance of being able to moderate how people use the avatar or how they treat other uh, citizens or players inside your space. It's not easy to set up a, a metaverse or set up a dominion where you've got millions of digital avatars running around. If you're going to do it in such a way that people are completely free to do whatever they want, what you've got to do from day one is you've got to set the rules and the policies with which you want to adhere to. And if people don't meet those requirements, then you have to moderate them. And you can't get some kind of kid who just came out of university to moderate for you. This is why platforms like Roblox, they have really like big job titles like director of civility and responsibility. It's not just about doing corporate governance, it's about looking after people's well-being and health on a platform like Roblox where there are 56 million unique users. And I think if you're just gonna pull a metaverse out of your behind, then you're leaving yourself wide open, literally, for everything that's going to happen to you and your avatars on that platform. So the responsibility then ends back up on the metaverse creator. And it's not on the user at all, because the user is allowed to do whatever it is that they want to do. And they should be, because they've got no rules. And in Roblox, you know, some of the rules are wonderful. But also I think that things like Roblox for young people have their own problems. When I was creating Equiland, one of the things that I wanted to do was have a completely unbiased view of what an avatar was. So everybody just had multicolored blobs from the rainbow. They were just blobs. They were like Barber Popper or the Moomins. 
they weren't of any description, no boobs, no, like barely any hat or adornment, you know, the occasional adornment if you wanted to, but not everybody had like arms and legs. Not every avatar in that space had like the specific human makeup that we would expect to see. And that was great because it gave young people the opportunity to not feel pressurized towards having to accommodate all of these attributes to be accepted. And that is a massive failing in things like Roblox, I think, if you're aiming at kids or Minecraft or Fortnite or some of the other children focused uh, platforms. But for adults, yeah, adults need, adults are not adults at all, they're just users. And if you're not going to set the ground rules for what those policies are in, in the first place, then you're leaving yourself wide open for what's to come. Yeah, I think super important and some great examples there. I think we need to like look a little bit more about character invention when it comes to cartoons and, and be significantly more creative in how we can be building avatars. Oh, hi there. Now, I won't interrupt you for long, but did you know that Web3 for Good offers masterclasses for your brand, agency, or conference? As a highly sought after keynote speaker and workshop host, I'm proud to be acknowledged as one of the top female speakers in digital marketing. I've been very busy the last few months hosting events at some of the world's most iconic brands, sometimes even popping by for lunch and learn. Don't worry, I bring the pizza. These talks uh, will always be jargon-free. They'll educate everyone from beginner to expert. We focus on what is Web3, what opportunities does it bring, and how can we be purpose-driven to build a Web3 for good? And of course, customized masterclasses can always be built for you. Every session will also include an NFT drop. That's right, we ensure that everybody leaves on chain. If you'd like to know more or work with me, Camilla Perkis-White, then head over to web3forgood.net or you can just email me direct, web3forgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Radio, back to the show. So that's it. Let's dive into the good stuff, right? We've got the world in front of us. We've got all the builders, all the creators, all the users. If we're to build a Web3 for good, what do you believe are the key strategies that we need to implement for building the avatars of the future? Well, I'm just writing a book about this, actually, at the moment, not just about this, but this is a section on a book that I'm writing, which is about how, meta how video games made the metaverse. And one of the key areas is Avatar, because we've got to go way, 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 way back to the time when, in the 90s that you were talking about earlier, actually, where we had things like Gravatars. So Gravatars used to be our little icon that we used to carry around with us across various web pages, etc. But also, even further back than that, because when I was talking about Tomb Raider earlier, you could only play as Lara Croft, it means that the developer had full control over what that player character was. And there was no, there was no kind of mystery or mystique about what that character was. You knew exactly she had a backstory and you were gonna play as a female Indiana Jones. Now, 
if we're going to think about things from a good perspective, then what we need to be creating is a policy or a system or a foundation on paper first to agree how we're going to take care of our users inside that space. And only then, when we're all agreed on how we're going to take care of people inside the space, can we really start to build what that looks like. Because until we know what our user is and who they are and how they're going to operate or how we can hypothesize about them in that space, we can't write a damn thing. We can't create a single avatar and we can't expect a player to uh, experience the metaverse in the manner that we expect them to. They're just not going to do that. And the thing I like about policies in particular is it can lead into education because I feel like educating the industry into how to build, how to motivate people positively. And, you know, what I'd love to see is the integration of feedback mechanisms. I feel like there isn't enough of that for the users to say, I would have loved this or let me do this, like that two-way collaboration that we want to see from Web3, that kind of, if there is an infrastructure of policy, you know, this kind of education, feedback, collaboration is like a next step from that I would love to see eventuate. Do you think it could ever happen? It is happening. It's happening in things like Break Room already, which I mentioned, where you can select a regular humanoid avatar like you and I talking to each other now, or I could just turn myself into a goblin and you could just be talking to a metallic goblin, or I could just be a hat that's got a mouth. You know, we, we could do a variety of different things like that. It's easy to do, but you're right. I think the policies, policy does not mean policing. Policy means there is an agreed understanding of how we all move forward, a manifesto, if you like. And with that manifesto, we all agree to it, a little bit like a decentralized autonomous organization. We vote upon it and we all agree that that's what we're gonna do. In user-generated content platforms, such as your Minecrafts or your Yahahas, the emphasis is not always going to be on the avatar, but it will be because the avatar always is priority one. I had a conversation with someone today where I was doing some consultation on avatar and I said to them, if you don't put the avatar in the first position the same way that you do the human player, then you have completely lost the player from the get-go. And it's a series of burning hoops that the creators and developers have to jump through. I appreciate that but they've got to take the time to do it. There's no cutting corners. There's too many metaverses today and uh, metaverse platforms and experiences that just think, oh yeah, forget about it because we're only looking at the back of their head. I mean, it's not about looking at the back of someone's head. It's about personalizing a world that you want to live in as a player or a user or a citizen of that particular metaverse. So for heaven's sake, put those guardrails in to protect, educate, advise and guide people towards what they see themselves as in your particular world. And besides your very important and loud voice, is there anyone else campaigning for this? Are there any systems or policies set in place that people can be like looking up or leaning into? 
I mean, I do follow quite a lot of the diversity and accessibility folks. Uh, Michael Vermeesh, for example, at Microsoft, he's a real advocate um, being someone who is neurodiverse himself. He's kind of employed to oversee accessibility at Microsoft, but these are big tech corporations. So naturally it's about box ticking, like you mentioned earlier. Some of the things that I really like are smaller individualized groups and activists in this space, like the blind burners. Those guys are building metaverses for blind people, which sounds absolutely crazy. But from avatar creation to experience development, they're putting in all of the expectations you would find with an average blind person or visually partially sighted person walking down the street, you know, either with their cane or with their animal. And they are protecting and not putting a protective force around, but they're effectively protecting by educating. They're showing developers in the world, not that you're doing it wrong, but this is how to do it right. So they've already hosted a Burning Man session in uh, Alt VR um, before it and VR spaces before they kind of went down the tubes. But blind burners are actually setting up their own experience, and they lobbied to death with Microsoft until Microsoft said, "Yeah, okay, come aboard." So now they're working with these tech giants to make them do better. That's great. I need to get them on the podcast. That is the perfect example of how we can build a web three for good for all people power absolutely absolutely and kelly do you have any thoughts on how blockchain in particular could potentially impact for good in the world of avatars what opportunities do you think that might bring i'm a really big believer that the digital passport is going to have a connection of a few things or a collection of a few things it's going to have the digital wallet course because we're going to keep everything in there it's going to have all of everything about us that's really important birth certificates you know mortgage documents and deeds god how boring um but also it's going to have us in there you know the digital representation of who we are and we should be able to use that interoperably and i have started to see the beginnings of how that might work through some of the United Nations NGOs and their movement of people around the world. They're using blockchain to be able to access through smart contract, the identity and verification of people who are fleeing countries where it's dangerous for them to live or where they need to find refuge at destination countries. These ways of being able to help people are not just from the perspective of having fun inside a metaverse, but also by providing us with a digital identity, which we can take with us and couple up into the blockchain and decouple down into everything from Decentraland maybe to the United Nations Court of Human Rights. We've got a really good opportunity of being able to create an entirely one-size-fits-all approach to world identity, meaning that these borders, they get smaller and smaller. And our ability as people to have freedom of movement, freedom of work and entitlement to those things 
that are part of the hierarchy of behavioral needs, those barriers to entry are getting less and less. I think that's such an important takeaway for it. You know, the avatar of the future is no longer this sort of funny tits and ass, pink haired, blue boots persona, but is our digital identity. And that is really encompassing what is going to come forward in the world of Web3. And I, and I love that. That's a fantastic vision. And don't you think that that comes directly back to what we talked about right at the beginning? And that is we're just looking for the perfect version of ourselves. When actually the outcome in the future is that we've effectively got the digital version of ourselves all encompassed. I think that's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. Kelly, so thank you so much. We're going to move into the final section of the show now, which thank is you. called Share the Good Vibes. Vibes, vibes, vibes. Vibes. Where I ask you to share three awesome bits of work that are happening that may not be your own. Uh, so first one, Kelly. Ding, 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 ding. Where do you think has the best vibes to customize an avatar in Web3? Oh, break room. No question. Perhaps not just Web3 yet. It's Web2 and a half. But certainly because it's utilizing quite a lot of technology from third parties, it means that, yeah, people can customize the way that they want to customize. And these guys are all ex-second life. So they've been there from 15 years ago and then looking into the future using you as the creator. Love it. Okay, number two. Let's see if Break Room gets another shout out. Where's the best place to play with your avatar in Web3 or online? Yeah, I think currently the best place to play is in Yahaha. Um, you can just, it, for, for low code and no code, it's a really great place to get your hands dirty without having to live next door to Snoop Dogg. Who's never bloody home anyway? He hasn't been home since 2001. He's never at home. <laughs> Kelly, you know I'm a huge fan of you online and, and in the real world too, but I wanted to ask the final question. Of, is there another badass thought leader out there that you would recommend us all to follow? Absolutely not, but if there was... <laughs> um, I don't, you know, there's quite a few. So there is... Oh, gosh. There's... You know that there's Thea Bauman. She's from Oz. She is a, a, an absolute, she's the person that back in 2002, I think it was, was doing AR nail varnish. And so this woman is a visionary. She's an absolute leader. I love her. Also another woman who, and it's mostly women that are doing this, this stuff because we're just amazing at it. Krista Kim has created a space which is like devoted, it's called uh, O Metaverse, and it's devoted to just being good to each other in the metaverse, it's just so cool. There's a fantastic visual artist called Christina Teal, and she is AR-driven and VR-driven. She's absolutely incredible and creates these amazing installations. Um, and yeah, there's, me if you want to if you can be bothered but i'm really salty and bitchy about everything and then there's somebody that i interviewed this week called uh, kira sheehan that builds immersive retail technology 
but she actually started doing this by looking at uh, immersive journalism. So she was building immersive experiences out of real world events um, and pushing them up into Web3. So she's a pretty cool person to follow as well. There's a lot of us around though, to be honest. Oh yeah, that's the epic handful to leave us with for sure. <laughs> so Kelly, uh, where can we find you and anything you want to plug? Yeah, I've got a book coming out this year, which is called How Video Games Made the Metaverse. I've got um, a website which is thought-led called uh, Metacrunch. There's a dot between the N and the CH. Um, and each week I basically rip apart any ideas that people had about the metaverse being incredibly amazing because only I know what's incredibly amazing, okay? Um, <laughs> there's some really great games out there for people who want to play with a diverse approach to gameplay. So there's a lot of roguelike games which involve building covens of witches and women and feminism and being together. But then there's also dirty ass cool stuff like Boyfriend Dungeon, which you can play and look at huge pecs and abs on dudes and chicks. <laughs> we'll have our next meeting there then. Yeah, we will. <laughs> in my coven, get in, come to the coven. For the next episode as always guys you can find me on twitter camilla on chain or the website is web3forgood.net thank you very much kelly it's been an absolute honor oh thank you the pleasure was mine cheers thanks for listening to this episode of web3 for good as you know we're on a mission to uncover the greatest innovators, thinkers, and creators building the next reiteration of our online lives. But I cannot do this alone. So wherever you're listening to your podcast today, I'm going to ask you a huge favor. Hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, why not leave us a review? Did you know that is like the best thing you can do to support a podcaster? And I'm sure you know, in the world of technology, let alone podcasting, it's heavily male dominated. So as an independent female podcaster, I'm going to need your help so we can all together build a Web3 for good. If you want to learn more about Web3 for good, or me, Camilla Perkis-White, or advertise your business on the podcast, just go to web3forgood.net. Or you can email us at web3forgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Radio, see you next time.